We are uh, going to be in Luke's gospel this morning, and it's going to be Luke chapter 21. We'll just kind of drop down to the very end of the chapter, read verses 29 through 38. Luke 21, verses 29 through 38. Um, I was thinking I might shed my, my jacket. I'm not thinking that's going to happen this morning. It's cold. Hopefully you guys stay warm. If you want to get up, do jumping jacks or whatever you got to do, feel free. But um, I'm proud of you for being here. Good job. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's read this. Uh, but before I do, let me at least uh, remind you of this. This is part five now of really our, our kind of little sermon mini-series, making our way through Luke uh, 21, what's traditionally been termed the Olivet Discourse. Um, and we're now kind of in the, the last part of this discourse. We're going to just read the verses in focus, but obviously we can't forget they come in the context of the larger chapter uh, that we've been studying. So let's read Luke 21, verses 29 through 38. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Well, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Uh, let's, let's pray and ask God's uh, blessing on our time. Well, God, this morning, it's you that we want to see. It's you that we want to hear from. Christmas time, Advent season, we remember your first coming. But now, as we get into Luke 21 and this section of the gospel here, we also remember, recall, anticipate your second coming. And Lord, I, I pray that right now, whatever may be pressing in on us, whatever may seem um, most important, most significant, capturing our attention, capturing our heart, whatever we're distracted by, but I pray that it would all kind of fall away for the moment and we would see the thing that we ought to be giving more attention to than anything else, namely eternity, the last day, the end of the age, the return of Christ. Help us to think upon these things. Minister to us in this time. God, speak to us through your word. Recenter, realign our hearts with yours. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I don't have much time for uh, review and introduction uh, here this morning, but I do at least want to remind us of this. Uh, Jesus, to this point, 
in the Olivet Discourse in Luke 21 has been talking about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and, and the temple in particular, uh, and then also kind of interweaving in that discussion about the end of the world the end of the age, uh, his return, what it's going to be like. Um, people may uh, scoff, as they always have, um, at the idea of the end of the world, the return of Christ. Uh, this is something I think uh, that at best, uh, most people think is improbable. Uh, at worst, people think it's just kind of a bad joke used to kind of manipulate the masses and, and, and it's not uh, going to happen. But um, in reality, I think actually what we experience today when we think about the end of the age is probably not all that much different than what uh, the, these disciples would have thought when Jesus was talking about the temple uh, before them coming down. You remember they're looking at this temple with its magnificent stones. Uh, first sermon in this series, I talked about how the, some of the stones were bigger than school buses. They're massive. This was an incredible, magnificent building, a marvel of the ancient world, this, this temple there in Jerusalem. And Jesus just looks at it and says, yeah, every stone is going to come down. And people may have been prone to think uh, that is a joke, that's improbable, that's never going to happen. And yet we know historically 70 AD, the Romans came up on Jerusalem and on the temple and that's exactly what happened. And so I think what we have here is a, 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 a picture given to us uh, uh, from Jesus uh, that now, okay, listen, if historically Jesus speaks, it seems improbable and yet there it is. So too with the end of the age and his coming, when we hear and we think, oh, what a joke, oh, never gonna happen, no way, uh, we ought to think, man, if that first thing happened, that's kind of a picture and a preview of this latter thing, uh, perhaps what he said about this latter thing is going to happen as well. Um, if that's the case, if Jesus really is coming, if the end of the world is really gonna be as he describes it in this chapter, then really I would tell you there is no topic uh, more worthy of our reflection this morning than this. Whatever else may be pressing, like I prayed, whatever else may be on your mind, capturing your attention, there is, uh, I would argue, nothing more significant, nothing more pressing than this subject uh, concerning the end of the age and our Lord's return. Um, and it's really this now that we come to consider as Jesus gives his final remarks on the matter in verses 29 through 36 of Luke 21. And here, what I see, it seems to me, is it gets especially practical. Um, what we're going to be doing, I'm going to be dividing my thoughts here under two headings. Um, first, we are watching. And then second, uh, we are watched. We are watching, we are watched. We're gonna spend almost the entirety of our time on that first piece and just kind of touch that second one as we bring things uh, to a close. So first, we are watching, we are watching. Um, if the end of the world is imminent, as Jesus seems to imply that it is, uh, if it really is uh, coming, uh, as it says there in verse 35, upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Um, the question that we need to wrestle with is this, 
what sorts of things ought we to be doing uh, to prepare? Uh, what should my life look like as I live it out in between the two advents, the first being Bethlehem, uh, culminating in the cross and his ascension, uh, the, the second being his return. What does life look like in between these two advents? How can we be sure that we are ready for that day whenever it comes? It's coming. Whenever it comes, how can I be ready? These are the questions, um, it seems to me, that Jesus is actually attempting to answer in the text that we have uh, before us. And uh, what I'm seeing, if I could just kind of sum up his answer, it's that we should be watching. We should be watching. Uh, and he kind of goes on, as we'll, as we'll look here, to give us both the what and the, the uh, how concer concerning this watching. In other words, uh, he, he'll show us what we should be watching for, what we should be watching, and then how we should be uh, going about it, how best to be watching for these things. The what and the how, um, that's really gonna um, be where we go now. So let's consider the what. Um, what is it that we should be watching? He outlines, I think, two objects for us in particular. First, our world. Second, ourselves. First, our world. Second, ourselves. Um, our world, let's consider that one for a moment. That one's brought out in verses 29 through 31. Uh, look at that again with me. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now remember, these things refers to all this stuff he's been talking about through Luke uh, 21, which I'll outline in a moment here. But he essentially is saying, listen, disciples, uh, you need to be looking out. You need to be watching uh, the world around you. And he gives this image. He gives this picture. He says, just like when you are uh, watching the fig tree start to bud and leaf out, uh, you know that spring is upon you and summer is on its way. So too, when you see the sorts of things I've been talking about in uh, the preceding verses, when you see these things start to happen in the world round about you, you know my return, the end of the age, is at hand. Or as, as he puts it here, the kingdom of God is near. Now, let me first say something very clear uh, on this because I just want to, I know this has been abused. Uh, there are people who like to think and maybe even draw from texts like this, uh, that this idea that Jesus is, is saying we can kind of know the day and the hour. In fact, good, faithful Christians are gonna so parse and so jigsaw puzzle all the prophecies and all these texts in Scripture together along with kind of the headlines in the newspaper and they're gonna mix and match and figure it out and they're gonna know the day and the hour when he's gonna come. And you hear it, you know, on the news or you hear it in some of the ministries that are out there on the radio or the television. Hey, the end of the world, here's the date. <laughs> Get ready, here's the list. And hey, by the way, if you pay this amount of money, we'll send you your end of the world guide, you know, or whatever, in the mail. You're like, wait, well, this sounds a little fishy. 
And then the day comes and it goes and the guy just shifts it around to the next, you know, whatever. And it's like, and we keep buying into this. And I want to be clear. I, Jesus, when he says, listen, there are some signs, there are some things that you need to be looking out for. There's some stuff that will indicate the end of the world or the kingdom of God is near. Uh, he's not saying that you could dial it in to the day and the hour. In fact, in Mark's account, uh, Mark 13, 32, Jesus actually goes so far as to say this, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, not even me, he says, at least here while I'm on the earth, or however that works, I don't know, but only the Father. So he's going, don't think you can dial this in. You know, just mark that day on your calendar. You're not going to get that far, but you'll be able to get a general sense of it. Or even at the beginning of Luke 21, you remember, he says, listen, guys, there are going to be false Christs, and there are going to be false prophets, and they're going to come out saying the hour is at hand. And he's going, don't listen to those guys. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. Don't go after them, he says. So we need to, first of all, disavow the notion that uh, what Jesus means here by this parable, and you see the buds and you see the leaves and you know, uh, we, we need to disavow the notion that he's meaning we can know for sure. And we can get this sort of crystal clear uh, date on our calendar. That's not what he's talking about. What, what he is saying is we can know something. What he is saying is that we can get a general sense of where things are going and, and what's coming and what's ahead. So we know, just to kind of recount some of the stuff we've seen in Luke 21, we know that we're going to see things like natural disaster and calamity. We know we're going to see things like international conflict and war. We know we're going to see things like persecution and tribulation, all with unprecedented intensity and severity. Uh, we know that there's going to be some sort of a great rebellion. Paul talks about it in Thessalonians. He's like, the end can't come till this rebellion comes. And we know that that rebellion, it would seem, is going to be led by some rebel par excellence who John and, 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 and Daniel and others talk about as either the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, all these other things. So there's this vague picture, but it's not this like HD, you know, uh, 4K resolution. We got it figured out. We're the, the Bible scholars who know it. No, we're not going to get there. But he does say we should be watching, watching our world, aware of the signs of the times. Now, there's something that I wanted to bring out. One last thing on this. Uh, just kind of leverage the imagery that Jesus uses here because I think it's, it's, it's actually uh, quite beautiful, quite wonderful uh, even. Um, Jesus in other places, when he's talking about the end of the age, uh, he's, especially when he's referring to it as it may relate to uh, people who are not his disciples, people who will not be ready, people who are not uh, following after him day by day. Uh, he talks about it in ominous kind of foreboding uh, terms and, and with, with, with kind of uh, scary imagery. So he'll, he'll speak of the, that coming day like a storm in Luke 12, or I'm sorry, Matthew 16, 1 through 4, Luke 12, uh, 54 through 56. Or he talks about it like a thief in Luke 12, 39. It's going to come like a thief. Or uh, he talks about it even in our text down in verse 34, uh, like a trap. It's going to come like a trap for some people. That day, it's going to be like a storm, like a thief, like a trap. But then here, in these verses right before us, 
And this image that he's he's leveraging as he's talking now to his own disciples about what this coming day will be like for them, he uses this wonderful image, this beautiful image of a a, a, uh, fig tree and other trees starting to leaf out and blossom in such a way that, man, spring, we know spring is here. We know summer is on its way. In other words, it's not this foreboding, ominous thing for some. Instead, for them, it's going to be this beautiful thing. It's going to be like uh, if the sun were to break through this fog right now. That's what the day uh, of the Lord is going to be like for us. It's going to be like spring uh, breaking through after a long winter's freeze. Things that have been dormant and dead suddenly start bursting forth with new life. That's what the end of the age will be like for Christ's people. For his disciples, God's children. Um, last week I spoke, um, uh, leveraged or uh, used a, an example from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Talked about how uh, Jesus is essentially uh, going to be bringing in this uh, world that we all long for. That we all long for. We can't find the fulfillments here and now. And Jesus is going to bring this new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem in when he comes again. And that's the kind of thing, I think this image of the the fig tree blossoming is meant to uh, incite in us and elicit in us. Um, If I could actually use uh, some of C.S. Lewis's works uh, to further elaborate on this. Uh, Some of you guys are familiar. They made a big blockbuster movie out of it, The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, But you remember the the land of Narnia is, is described as kind of under the white witch's curse Right, And because of that, uh, I'll never forget it, uh, the, the people were talking about the land and saying, listen, it's, it's always winter, but never Christmas. In other words, it's always cold, it's icy, it's dead, and there's nothing to celebrate. Always winter, never Christmas. But when Aslan shows up, the lion who kind of, you know, we know stands for what kind of Jesus would be like. When he comes and he, 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 he combats the white witch and he overturns the curse, suddenly uh, what they explain and only the way that C.S. Lewis can, can explain things, he starts talking about how the ice is thawing and, and the, the crocus flowers and other things are starting to bloom. Spring is breaking through. I think that's the idea. That's what's coming for God's people. That's why Luke 21, 28, the verse right before the text in focus this morning, Jesus says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. The kingdom drawing near for some will be like a thief. Breaking in on the party. (laughs) But the kingdom drawing near for others will be redemption. It will be like spring after a long winter. And so the thing we have to remember and even reflect upon here in these moments is just what accounts for the difference in your experience, whether it comes like a thief breaking in on your party, or it comes like a spring after a long winter. Uh, it all depends on where you stand with Jesus. It all depends on what you've made of him. 
If you've said, nah, judgment is a joke, the coming you know, of Christ, whatever, all this stuff, the end of the age, this is silly. I'd rather get my best life now, put all my chips in on this place, uh, fill my belly. Listen, you're just playing right into the devil's hands. You're eating from uh, the devil's uh, bait stick, as it were. And Jesus says it's coming like a trap upon those people. You don't realize it. You may be living it up, but it's coming, and it won't be good. But for those who have said, okay, listen, judgment's for real. I'm shot through with sin. Jesus has taken my judgment. I'm pushing it all in on him. I'm trusting him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to follow him, even if it's hard. Uh, the, the, the word to us would be, brother, sister, then we'll get ready for warmer weather. I hope you pack your swimsuit. <laughs> I hope you pack your summer dress because warmer weather is on the way. Now, um, all of this then really kind of leads us onward to the second object of our watching. We should be watching our world and aware of what's going on. Uh, but it seems to me Jesus really gives the lion's share of our time in these verses here to this idea that we need to be watching ourselves. We should be watching not just our world, but ourselves. And that comes out in particular in verse 34, where Jesus says explicitly this, uh, but watch yourselves. Um, on this, I'm, I'll have more to say in a moment when we kind of get to the, the how of our watching. How should we go about watching? Uh, but at least let me say this by way of introduction. Um, with regard to this idea of watching ourselves, it seems to me our culture, our generation, uh, we're both good and horrible at it. Okay, uh, we're both almost too good at it and horrible at it. Let me explain uh, what I mean. Um, on the one hand, we're always thinking of ourselves. We're always wanting to kind of watch ourselves. I don't think there's ever been a generation that's more infatuated with itself than ours. I mean, we could rightly call this the selfie generation, right? And you've been on those, those trips. You've been on those outings. You see, I mean, no judgment that this is, where, this is what you do too. It's just something to consider. I mean, we, we got the selfie sticks. We got the, you get your group together. Everyone's taking these pictures of themselves, we love to watch ourselves experiencing life. And then we post it to feeds and invite everyone else to watch us uh, experiencing life as well. So we go to the Grand Canyon, for example. And instead of just sitting there silently on the edge of it, in awe of what's before us, what do we do? We fumble, we gotta get the selfie, right? We're fumbling on our phones right now. We're not even looking at that. that, that can wait. We're right here on our phones and then we gotta get the angle right. You know, we gotta get our clothes just right. Oh, there's something in my teeth, ho, 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 hold it up. We gotta get people together, we gotta get the right filter, you know, so that it kinda covers our blemishes or whatever. And then we're ready to get that selfie. It's like, that's the point. And then we can post it and all of our followers will see. And we love this sort of thing. And in many ways, it's almost like for, for these upcoming generations, it's almost like, hey, if, if you didn't get that selfie, it may as well not have happened. So you go to the concert, you got to get it. You go to the dinner, you got to get it. You take the trip, you got to get it. And that's the sort of thing 
that I, I, I could see going on around us. I don't, not, it's not always wrong, I'm not saying that. But our hearts sometimes, we can be almost too good at watching ourselves. That's on the one hand, but on the other hand, we're actually quite horrible at it. And here's what I mean by this. Um, Jesus, in our text, is calling us, when he says, watch yourself, he's calling us to something so much deeper than what you can do through the lens of a camera. He's not talking about the external. He's not talking about the appearance. He's talking about the heart. What's going on on the inside? So he says it there, verse 34, when you read it more in full. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. So it's not just watching how I look on a screen or how I look in my social networks or whatever. It's watching what's going on in my heart, the stuff that's turning deep in my soul. And I'm saying this is the sort of thing that our, our upcoming generations are bad at. That we're not, we don't, we don't know how to do this. We can do the external, but inside, it's hard. Uh, Megan and I got hooked on a, a show um, that actually one of you guys out, out there at home uh, <laughs> introduced us to and, and recommended to us. And what they do in this show is they uh, take these survival experts and uh, they drop them off. Uh, you know, one here, one there, all over kind of these deserted places. And they have to compete. Who can survive the longest? Alone. Completely alone. And what you find is it's actually very interesting, uh, the sort of uh, th insights you get into kind of human nature and the stuff we need and all of this. Uh, a lot of people, standard uh, things you would think of, a lot of people tap out because they can't get the food, they can't get the shelter, they can't get the, you know, whatever, wild animals are coming at them. And so that makes sense. They tap, I'm done. But then you have these folks who have all that stuff lined up. They've got the food, full bellies. They've got the shelter. It's warm. They're safe. It all looks good. But psychologically, they can't handle it. They can't handle the stuff that starts coming out of their heart when they remove all the noise. When there's no more TV, when there's no more internet, when there's no more people and distractions, and it's just you and yourself, and you have to watch what's coming out of your heart, the inside. And they tap. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. This is what I say, you know, we're we're weak at, and yet this is what Jesus says we have to be doing, watching ourselves. This is what the Christian needs to grow more skilled at, getting into his or her heart and knowing, man, what's going on in there? What am I hoping in? What am I leaning towards? Where am I going here? Because that's going to be key if we're going to be ready for our Savior's return in the end of the age. Now we get to then the question that's probably pressing on us here is really, okay, so how? And in particular, I'm not thinking so much, how do I go about, you know, watching our world? We kind of talked about that, although this, these things will be relevant, but that's stuff we've been looking at all along. Uh, right now, I'm thinking in particular about the how with regard to watching ourselves and our hearts. How do we go about that sort of a thing? What suggestions does uh, Jesus have, if any, for us? And I actually see uh, four in particular uh, coming out in this text. Um, 
Now, uh, before I, I get to these four suggestions um, with regard to how we can watch ourselves and in, in, in our hearts, and in that sense, be ready for um, the end of the world, um, let me at least uh, say this, make a quick observation. Um, I'd already mentioned that we should not approach end time stuff uh, as if it were this complex kind of calculation and we do this hocus pocus or this jigsaw puzzle thing. I've already mentioned that that's not what it is. And this actually where we see Jesus go next just really accents that even more. Because what we find out is, is if you want to be prepared for the future, the best way to do that is not by, you know, getting into all the prophecies and mapping it all out. That's not necessarily wrong. But the best way, it seems, Jesus is, is, is outlining for us here to be prepared for the future is actually just to be a faithful disciple today in the everyday stuff of life. Jesus is going to point us to the common everyday means of grace that every saint can do. Whether you know how to interpret Daniel or Revelation or Luke 21. I'm not, listen, I read a lot of various commentaries on Luke 21 and all the different, different opinions and it just, it just never ends. All the different thoughts and approaches to what's happening in the end time calculations. Not necessarily wrong again, but not the priority. Some of us may have been like, ah, I, you know, you've come from perhaps um, denominations where that's a really big deal or Christian subcultures where that's a really big deal. And you're like, man, I can't figure it out. I'm done even thinking about end times. And that's the wrong extreme. But here's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's saying, listen, instead of being uh, consumed with the little fine print and the details, which can actually be a distraction, let's just focus in on the everyday uh, faithfulness and obedience of a disciple common everyday means of grace. You do that today, you'll be prepared for the end. So uh, four suggestions Jesus gives us in uh, this text. Suggestion number one, um, study the word. Study the word. I get this from verse 33 in particular where Jesus says this, uh, and this is, this is incredibly powerful. Think about this. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You gotta just let that sink in. He's saying everything that right now you can see with your eyes that we make such a big deal about, heaven and earth, everything that we see, everything here, it's gonna pass away. He said, oh yeah, but the only thing that won't, my words. My words. Takes your breath away. Makes you think. Um, I imagine, at least it's my experience, that in times like the ones, like the ones we're in now, where you, I mean, you just don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. I mean, we have this, we live in this facade of control and like our calendar is actually going to be stable. Uh, 2020 has blown that out of the water, right? We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We, we're constantly experiencing chaos, and it seems like in some ways it's restarting, right? The uncertainty of it all. So there's now, you know, more stay-at-home orders. And can I 
do my Christmas plans or not? And now they're talking about more fire warnings. And hopefully this cloud I'm preaching in is going to help with that. But more fire warnings and PG&E shutdowns. And, uh, you know, I got a notice this morning, an earthquake, you know, over here. And just This is wild. We don't know. And I was laying in my bed yesterday just thinking about the uncertainty that we're just dealing with these days and realizing that if I did not on the daily wake up and go get in God's Word and just throw my heart before the Savior, ask Him to speak, build my life upon His Word, if I did not do that, I would be a wreck. There'd be no stability. There'd be no peace. Because all this stuff, we feel it. It's just shaking. It's rattling in its foundations. And we got to go. We're longing for something that can stabilize our souls. Something strong enough to hold us through the chaos and uncertainty that is our life. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, that is what my word is for you. Uh, As heaven and earth are shaking and unraveling, my word is still there. It's still solid. It's still true. It's still lasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So you get into God's word and it stabilizes your soul. It helps you interpret the craziness around you. It uh, illuminates the stuff that's off in our hearts. It shows us the way forward. Uh, it, 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 it reminds us that God has a plan, that he's up to good, that it's not just crumbling. It, it, it reminds us that Jesus is bringing in a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells, that the kingdom, uh, kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdom of God one day soon. If we're waking up in the mornings and our impulse first is to check the news or the blogosphere or our social media feeds and all this stuff running and that's where we're trying to find stability. What's going to happen in the markets? What's going to happen here? And we're following this analyst or this commentator and all this stuff. We are not going to have peace. We are going to crumble with the world around us. We may have moments where we feel like we're on top of it, but then that just goes because that's what Jesus is saying it's all going to do in the end. If we want that sort of stability, study God's word. If we want to be ready, not just for uh, the day ahead of us, but the end of the age, study his word. Um, As we approach a, a, a new year, which is honestly crazy to even consider, (laughs) that we've been almost a year into this um, and 2020 is almost over. Um, But as you approach a new year, it's natural to start thinking about, hey, where am I fitting with God's word? What have have I been doing with it? Am I reading it? Do I have a plan? Am I just kind of letting a guy preach at me on Sundays and that's good enough carrying me through the week? You wouldn't handle your meals that way and you shouldn't handle God's word that way. You need it like daily bread. So I'd encourage you, think about uh, in 2021 what you would do with God's Word and how you can uh, really build your life upon it in a more significant way. Happy to help if you need suggestions. But I got to move on. Suggestion number two 
uh, with regard to how do we watch ourselves. We've got this idea now of walking in obedience, not just studying uh, God's word, but walk uh, now in obedience. And this comes out in the latter part of verse 34 there, where we read this, (coughs) excuse me, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. So Jesus is warning us here, and, and there are two sides to it, really. He's, he's warning us against sin in a negative way, and he's warning us then positively towards obedience, a life of obedience. But this warning uh, comes out like this. On the one hand, uh, we see that he's warning us against these flagrant sins. So he talks about uh, drunkenness. And he talks about dissipation. Uh, the Greek word behind that translation there is uh, simply a word that actually kind of refers to like the, the drunk headaches or in other words, the hangovers that you would get from this sort of lifestyle, this sort of activity. So these are the more flagrant sins. It's obvious, ooh, I'm just kind of going for the world and what it has and I love it. And I don't care what God has to say and everyone can see that's the sort of life that you're living. He's saying, watch out for that. But then there's another warning here, and now he's warning us against these more sanitized types of sins. And he calls here, uh, he calls them the, the cares of this life. These are cleaner. Cares of this life. Uh, this doesn't look so bad on the outside. This is just the person who's maybe worried about their job, but a little too much. It's the person who is, uh, you know, enjoys their relationship and is uh, wanting to make sure that they either get one or they keep one or they whatever. And it's got a little bit too much of their heart. It's the person who's getting their money together and, and they're caring for that. And as they're consumed a little bit, a uh, little bit by little bit more and more, they start to neglect the matters of eternity. These are the sorts of things that are important in this life. And God knows we need them. But they can take priority. They can take precedence. We can start to put our faith, our trust, our hope in them. They can take the throne of our hearts away from our Savior. The cares of this life. This is the sort of thing that Jesus brings out earlier in Luke's Gospel uh, with the parable of the great banquet. Uh, And what you remember is there's this king who's throwing this banquet and he invites all these people to it. Stands really for the end of the age and the the, the messianic banquet that's going to come for all who are in him. And he's inviting people to this banquet. And what keeps people from it isn't all these flagrant, you know, red letter sins like, hey, I'm going to go commit adultery. Hey, I'd rather, you know, be doing drugs. Hey, you know, whatever. It's instead, it's like, ah, I'm too busy. I just bought a field and I have to tend to it. I I just got married and I want to go kind of, you know, a good husband would be with his wife, right? Or I've got these oxen and I need to go and care for them. Normal everyday stuff. Cares of this life taking precedence over eternal considerations. And they miss the banquet. That can be happening for some of us cleaner stuff just as deadly Um, really what Jesus is warning us about here is the same sort of thing we see in the parable of the soils where if you remember the word of God is scattered on these various soils one of them has thorns 
And we're told that um, as this, the word of God scattered like seed on this soil uh, with thorns, what happens is, is they're those who hear the word of God, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the, listen to this, cares and riches and pleasures of life. And the fruit does not mature. And so the idea here is whether it's the riches and pleasures of this life, drunkenness, dissipation, or it's the cares and anxieties of this life. Both of those things can choke out the word of God and keep us from bearing fruit. And it's the idea of bearing fruit, which is really where I'm getting this idea of walking in obedience. One of the ways we can, we can actually uh, be ready for the return of our Lord is, by wa- is to kind of walk in obedience with the stuff we've seen in, in his word this morning. Let me just walk that out this afternoon. Bearing good fruit, letting the word into my heart and change me. Not just hearing, but doing. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends, he says, some people are building their house on the sand. And when that day comes, man, it's going to crash. Everything's going to fall. But others are building their house on the rock. And when that storm comes, they're going to be steady. They're going to be strong. It's going to be fine. What's the difference? These people just heard the word and didn't do it. These people heard the word and did it. So Bible study isn't enough. It needs to make its way out into my life in obedience. We need to walk out the things that we are learning and bear good fruit. So the question for you And for me is, what are some of these little steps of obedience that God is calling me to right now? You know, what what are some of these? Because again, in times we think, oh, I've got to study prophecies. I've got to figure all these things. Listen, no, no, no. We like to complicate it because we can smuggle our sins in there and not worry about it. We like to make things too complicated. Here's the thing. You want to be ready for the end? What are the little things God is calling you to be faithful in right now? Like, you know you shouldn't be on the internet doing what you're doing. You need to get accountability, right? Or you know, man, it's not right to grumble at the sink, you know, when you're doing dishes. Like, little things. Walk faithfully with God. Or you know God's put on your heart to, you know, share the gospel with your neighbor, but you're just too scared. Take that little step. What you're reading in God's word, start to walk it out, and you'll be ready. Because you'll be abiding in him here and now. You'll be fellowshiping with him, fellowshiping with him here and now. You'll be bearing good fruit. Stop trying to be ready for the apocalypse and just be faithful today. You'll be ready. Suggestion number three, um, and this one kind of stands really in the gap a little bit between these first two, is stay alert in prayer. So Jesus goes on in verse 36. Again, we're gonna, how am I supposed to be watching myself? What, what am I supposed to be looking out for? Um, here is now verse 36, um, and this idea of staying alert in prayer. Stay awake, Jesus says, at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So he talks about staying awake here and praying. Praying. Um, Prayer, in my mind, as I see it, really stands as this kind of critical link between uh, the studying of God's Word and then our fruitful obedience Because for me, what prayer is, as I understand it, is me going, God, 
Do in me what I can't do in and of myself. I mean, how does Jesus say in John 15, you're going to bear good fruit? It's not by muscling it up. Oh, I read the word. I see I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to do it. No, it's by abiding in him. Abiding in the vine, the only truly fruit-bearing one. So prayer is this way that we ultimately abide. We see things in his word and we say, God, help me to walk that out. Jesus, only you can do this. God, do it in me. Holy Spirit, help. Image in my mind, um, we had a bonfire this last week in my backyard, actually, because we were getting rid of some old wood and stuff. And pretty epic bonfire. It was like a five-hour uh, bonfire back there with my kids. It was fun. Um, but as we're doing that, kind of, and I came to this text, I, I, I thought about uh, maybe an image that would be helpful here with regard to this idea of prayer. Um, in some ways, studying God's Word is kind of like collecting the logs and these big things. They feel dense. We don't always know what it's being said. We don't always feel the warmth of it and, and, and feel what we should about it. We don't always, it feels clunky trying to get it into our life. We don't really want to. It's, ah, I don't know. feels like collecting logs sometimes. Maybe your Bible study sometimes feels like that. And listen, here's what prayer is. Prayer is when you have a little ember of the Holy Spirit or whatever, you know, burning in, in, in your heart, in your bonfire pit. You put these logs on there that seem pretty heavy, seem a little wet. You don't really know what to do with it. And then you start praying or you start blowing. You start fanning the flame. When you bring it, as you're praying, you're going, God, I don't, help me understand. God, help me feel. God, help me walk this out. I don't want to do that. Help me to want it. And as you, as you read and as you pray, as you fan the flame, suddenly your life, your heart start to catch fire. And that word comes alive to you. I mean, we have such, a, a, it's such a tragic thing with our generation. We just go with whatever we feel. <laughs> Rather than this is true, I don't feel it or want to walk in accordance with it. So help me get in line with it. We just kind of say, hey, if I don't feel it, if I don't like it, it must not be true. I'm off. Don't handle your devotional life that way. That's what prayer is all about. That's why I say stay alert in prayer. Stay awake. Praying. George Whitfield, I recently read, he's a renowned evangelist, um, big part of the, the first great awakening here. In America and things, um, and uh, he uh, basically, we're told, was up at 5 a.m. every morning. You want something to make you feel a little guilty? Here you go. I'll throw this in for free. Up 5 a.m. every morning. Here's how. Here's here's what he'd be doing. Bible sprawled out in front of him, on his knees, studying. Yes, no doubt, but praying. And one of his biographers writes this. He'd be praying over every line and word till the passage in its essential message had veritably become part of his own soul. You hear that? This is what I'm talking about. This is blowing on the flame. This is asking God, engulf this, this log in fire. Get it in my heart, praying over every line until it becomes a part of you. And that's the sort of thing that I think Jesus is calling us to here, God, get this in me, in my heart and in my life.
Um, it's interesting, in the Greek, this word praying, um, the Greek behind it is, is uh, this word uh, deomai, and it literally means to plead or to beg. So I don't know if you have in your mind that praying is kind of this civilized kind of exchange between two equal counterparts. You know, something you can kind of just do in a coffee shop with a nice warm cup of, you know, joe in your hand. And you No, know, what we see here is actually prayer is this desperate plea. Tears streaming down your face. You know, head in the dirt. God help. This is, this is a beggar's move here. This is a helpless person crying out here. God, do in and through and for me what I can't do for myself. Give me grace to help in my time of need, which is all the time. That's what this is. And I just wonder, have you ever prayed like that? I mean, I notice myself. I do the civilized thing. Oh, let me write. Let me journal. That's all fine. When's the last time you just got down and cried and really felt the desperation that truly should mark the child of God, that truly will keep you alert and prepared for the coming day, the end of the world? He's saying, stay awake. Be praying, be pleading, be begging all the time. Suggestion number four, uh, I'll try to make this one quick, but the idea here is just simply don't, don't go it alone. Don't do this thing alone. So study God's word, walk in obedience, stay alert in prayer, don't go it alone. Um, this is more uh, implicit in our text rather than explicit, but it's, it's there and I wanted to bring it out because it's important. But what you notice is um, that, uh, at least in, in, in the Greek text, and forgive me for doing this, you can see it in the English too and I'll show you, but every single verb, kind of like if you've ever taken Spanish or something like that, or maybe you speak Spanish, um, they have, they, they have uh, it, you can tell that it's a second person and it's a plural. Uh, so it's not just you, it's you all. And you can see it clearly. And every verb is second person plural in this text. Every verb with regard to these people. There's, in other words, not just one disciple in view here, but many doing it together. And that's the important piece. It's brought out there even in the English in verse 34 when he doesn't just say, watch yourself, singular. He says, watch yourselves. You, you all, watch yourselves. And the idea that I'm trying to draw out here is this is not something that you and I can do on our own. That when God redeems us, he redeems us into a people and he redeems us into a people because we need the people. Filled with the Spirit, the body of Christ to be a part of helping me stay aflame, helping me walk in obedience, helping me understand the word, helping me pray in, in anticipation of the coming day, helping me so we make it to glory. I mean, that's why we are here. I mean, why on a cold, wet? I mean, I can't even turn the pages in my manuscript because they're so moist and gross. Why are we out here? Why are we doing this? Or those online, why? You know, you got kids running around and they're knocking over your coffee and you're getting upset because, you know, you want to concentrate, but you can't, but you're still prioritizing Sunday mornings. Why? Because we need each other. Because we're not going to make it 
if we're just going to go, ah, it's me and Jesus. Listen, that is a recipe for disaster. Because you can't see all that's going on in your heart. And we need each other to help. And we can't see all the truth that's in Scripture. And we need one another to help. I mean, my goodness, this was so cool. I just was like, oh, I had it on my heart to text a brother who'd been gone for, he moved away quite a while ago, as so many do around here. And it's just on my heart, and I to text him. and said, ah, you know, simple little text. Thinking of you, praying for you, hope things are well, I want to let you know Jesus is with you, man. He texts me back and goes, that just made my week. I was struggling with this or that, and I was, you know, I, I, I was wondering where Jesus was. And th- that kept him going. And I'm just thinking, about, that's what this is about. We're in this together. Uh, don't forget that you need that, and don't forget that others need that as well. They need that text from you. Hey, I was reading this this morning, and I thought of you. I'm praying this. I'm, I'm fanning this, this, you know, this wood here. Not just for, for me, but for you too. God, let this be real for my brother and my sister. We need one another. Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25 says this, and I thought it's so relevant at this point. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, capital D, the day drawing near. In other words, in view of this uh, coming day of the Lord, don't neglect to gather Encourage one another towards good works. All the stuff we've been reading. Man, this is part of what we're doing when we come here. Saying you need that if if you're going to make it to that day. To the springtime of your redemption. So some of you need to shoot up a flare. Right now. Some of you need to shoot up a flare and say, gosh, we've been going alone. And I'm I'm not doing well. My, my soul is languishing. My heart is wandering. I'm in sin. I mean, some of us need to shoot up that flare. You know, maybe others of us, we've just kind of grown used to the quarantine mindset where it's like, ah, this is kind of nice. I kind of like this. I don't have to deal with all these people in my life anymore. Woo! You know, it can feed uh, some selfish stuff in us, some, some devastating stuff. We just kind of like being alone. And I'm just saying, man, some of us need to really press in. We need to press in, maybe make Sundays more of a commitment to it. Maybe make more of a commitment or join a a home group. Uh, We got DNA groups that you can start if you want. Talk to me, discipleship little groups. We'll get get these started. There's maybe one or two already going. Um, You can just simply start a text thread, prayer requests and Scripture that's been encouraging with a few people, but you need people. Don't, don't go it alone. All right, so that's We Are Watching. I told you I was just simply going to land the plane with this last one, and I hope, actually, this is going to be the most encouraging part. So you still may want to keep your seatbelts on. Um, we looked at We Are Watching, but now I just want to bring out this last piece, uh, We Are Watched. We Are Watched. You say, that doesn't sound encouraging to me. That sounds a little bit creepy. Sounds like I got a stalker on my back and I need to kind of, you know, I'm being watched. This doesn't sound good. That's not what I have in mind here. 
When I say we are watched, what I mean is um, making it through to the end and making it through and standing before the Son of Man is not just about your ability to kind of watch yourself or watch the world and figure it out. I want you to remember that God is actually watching over you. That God is, is watching over you to do good, to care. That his eyes are on you. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read verses like the ones we've kind of been looking at, even in Luke 21 or even today, where, you know, you see, you know, oh, stay awake at all times. Be praying always. Uh, I hope you have the strength to escape <laughs> the day that's coming. Or back up in verse 19, I never touched on this, but it, it's a frightening verse for me. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. I hope you can endure. If you can, you'll get your lives. If you can't, you won't. If you're like me and you read some of that, you go, I can't do this. I can't hold on. I, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to tap out. I, God, help me. What am I supposed to do? I'm not going to stay awake. What if I go to sleep? What if I lose my grip? I mean, we remember the disciples coming right out of this conversation. Jesus, in just a day or two, is going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in Gethsemane, he's going to say, listen, I'm going to go over there and pray. You stay awake and pray right here. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm going. You're, you awake? All right. Come, comes back three times. They're asleep every time. They can't do it. Stay awake and pray. They're sawing logs in a few minutes. If this is on you, if this is on me, we are in big trouble. Yes, our watching uh, the world and watching ourselves matters. But what we have to know is that God is also watching over us to keep us keeping on. So Jesus comes back and he wakes him up again. And when he tells Peter, hey, your faith, listen, it's going gonna, it's gonna to struggle. You're not even going to be standing, forget standing before the Son of Man. You're not going to be able to stand before a little servant girl. He says, but listen, I have prayed for your faith and it will not fail. There's another one keeping watch who's going to keep you keeping on. And that's got to invigorate our souls. Let me just show you this. In Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says this, Matthew 24, 21, and 22, for then there will be, he's talking about the end times now, there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, it will never be the same. And he says, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Did you hear that? He says, if I were to let the days just keep rolling, everyone would fall away. But because my kids are not going to fall away, I'm going to order the end time events around their salvation. And when they can't handle it anymore, I'm going to make sure I pull the plug. I'm not going to lose you. One final thing to bring out. With this idea of Jesus brings it out in the, in the last verse we were looking at there, standing before the Son of Man. The, stay alert, praying so that you can stand. Well, in Revelation 6 and 7, we're given this vision. John, is, in particular, is given this vision of heaven and the last day, what it's going to be like. 
And he says in Revelation 6 that all the kings of the earth and all these great and mighty people who had lived it up, had all the power and all the authority during this age, when that day comes, it says they're going to cry out that the rocks and the mountains would come down upon them lest they have to face the wrath of the Lamb. And here's what, here's what they, they say in verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Nobody can stand before the Son of Man, is what they say. And that would be right. No one can stand in and of themselves. But then Revelation 7. Fast forward verse 9. And we read this. John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And what are they doing? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to who? Me? Because I held on and got there? No. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. He washed us white. He kept us sealed into the day of redemption. Salvation belongs to Him. We're standing where no one else could. Not because of our strength. Not because we kept watch with perfection. But because He kept watch over us. And He's keeping watch over you, brother and sister. He loves you. Let's pray.